Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today on the podcast, we're chatting to Claudette Merifant, who is the Head of Science of Retina South Africa and the Deputy President of Retina International. What I love about this interview is the amount of information that Claudette shares about how to travel, things to avoid, things to do, and not just for travelers with visual impairment, not just for travelers with disabilities, but for any travelers. And it really is an episode that is packed with great information. Then in our Travel Tech Corner, we're launching a partnership with Edit Microsystems, an assistive technology company based in Cape Town. But first, I'd like to introduce you to Claudette Medifant. Today on A Different Way of Travelling podcast, we are chatting to Claudette Merifant, who is with Retina SA, and she is also the Deputy President of Retina International. Claudette, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing? Oh, Louise, I'm so fine. Thank you so much for having me on your program. It's, it's such a delight to actually look at a different aspect of my life, other than rather than my science and my genetics. So I'm delighted to be here. Well, I met you at when you were giving a scientific presentation to the Cape Town Society for the Blind. And amongst that, you mentioned, if I'm correct, that you've traveled to 40 different countries. Actually, my husband took a tally last night and it's 47, but I really, <laughs> <laughs> some of them you wouldn't count as a country. <laughs> Well, I think that makes you eminently qualified to chat to us on the topic of travel, and we really do appreciate it. But before we dive into the topic of travel, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners, just so we learn a little about you and your story? Well, my traveling was actually thrust on me almost inadvertently when I joined and was one of the founders of Retina South Africa. And... uh, we were nominated to go and represent South Africa at the Retina International meeting in 1984 in Helsinki. And um, I've been a representative at these biennial conferences ever since then. So between my travels for Retina South Africa, and I always try to sneak a few days to tack on at my own expense, but I've also done uh, traveling independently. Uh, So I am the patient services manager at Retina South Africa, but my special interest is science and genetics. And I've been passionate ever since I heard at the first international conference, Professor Shomi Bhattacharya from England talking about the first X-linked gene. And it's just, it just blew me away. And I've ever since, because I've got a genetic eye condition, I have retinitis pigmentosa, And that's been my passion for the last 40 years. So you're involved in the the scientific field and research as well? Well, I act as a conduit between uh, our patients, our our management, and also the researchers, not only at the University of Cape Town, where all our local genetic research is done, but also internationally, through my connections with Retina International, For example, we've just brought our first ever clinical trial to South Africa for Stargardt's disease, and we're working on bringing more. And we want to ensure that these conditions, when the treatments come, and they're on the way, one's already been approved, but they will probably all be gene-specific, 
and even mutation specific. So a big accent will be on all our patients in South Africa with retinal vision loss should have a genetic diagnosis. And that's what we're working towards. And bringing clinical trials to South Africa is a huge part of our mission. You know, there's a part of me that is dying to dig a little bit deeper into this, but I'm well known for diving down rabbit holes. But the focus of this discussion is going to remain on travel. So could you tell us a little bit about the travels? You said you've been to 47 countries. Your first country that you went to once joining Retina South Africa was Helsinki, which is ooh, Finland. Finland, of course. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you don't have to name, list all the countries, but kind yeah. of the a broad um, view of, of where you have visited. Well, I actually started traveling before I joined Retina South Africa as um, a friend of mine. And when we were in our 20s, of course, we did the, the you know, the, the camping trip through Europe, which is, I don't know if it's still going. I believe some of the tours are. And we kind of did, um, you know, 12 countries in, in, in 40 days or something. So we camped all over Europe. And, of course, that's a completely different concept. Um, too old to sleep under canvas <laughs> and shower communally. So uh, that doesn't appeal to me anymore. But I have been to uh, virtually every continent. My biggest regret is not going to China 20 years ago when, when the old China was still around. Um, so that's one country that I haven't been. It's a big omission on my on my travels. But other than that, uh, I've been virtually everywhere. But um, maybe I would like to give your listeners some really good tips for travel. Or is that later? We'll we'll get into that in a little, in a little bit. I think we'll take this kind of one step at a time because I'm sure you've got a, a large number of insights to share with our travelers or with our, our listeners. Well, perhaps I can tell you what my favourites were. <laughs> my favourite all-time travel experiences are probably I can count on one hand, but if I had to narrow them down even more, it's Egypt. Yes. it's an. I've always been fascinated by the dynasties of Egypt and actually going, to, and I, especially Tutankhamun, uh, and actually going to Egypt and actually standing in Tutankhamun's tomb when there was only the four of us, I travel in very small groups. There were four of us and our tour guide and, and only Tutankhamun and his um, mummy were still in the tomb at that stage. And standing there and, and, and seeing and feeling the atmosphere was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, pyramids were fantastic. It, it lived up to my every expectation. Going to Abu Simbel was a terrible journey. We should have flown and that's I'm going to come to later on about doing research, proper research, but actually seeing Ramesses the Great's temples oh. on the banks of the Aswan that was moved. I mean, the fact that it was built by Ramesses the Great so many millions of years ago and was lost for also hundreds of thousands of years, well, had thousands of years, and then rediscovered and then it was threatened by the building of the Aswan Dam. And it was amazing that UNESCO actually got a group, a consortium of funders together, and they moved the whole temple higher up the side of the mountain, and they had to reconstruct the whole temple. They cut it into a meter square by about 30-centimeter blocks, and they moved it up the mountain. And what was amazing, and the original, to, in the original temple, the sun rose on Ramesses' the birth, birthday and went through the temple to the back wall where the four effigies of the gods were, one of which was Ramesses. And in the original temple, the sun rising on his birthday, which I think was the 13th of March, actually struck his face. And when it was reassembled in modern day in the 1990s, with all our modern day technology, when it was reassembled, they were reassembled it a day out. Oh, my word. Oh, no. On the 14th of March, the sun actually strikes the, 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 the uh, effigy of, of Ramesses. So that just shows that the Egyptians were a lot smarter than we thought. Walking through the temples of Karnak to see yes. those magnificent. It really, uh, I'm glad that um, there's, of course, a, a wonderful new 
museum, the, uh, the Egyptian museum now on the Giza Plateau, where all the wonderful um, artifacts from all over Egypt are being assembled. And uh, I'm glad to see it's getting safer to, to travel to Egypt because I would love to go back and see all those beautiful, um, you know, we've seen, of course, obviously all the, uh, the Tutankhamun, you know, the, the uh, famous Golden Death Mask and all of those, but to see them all in this beautiful, new and all repaired and all on display, I would love to go back to Egypt. So that's one of my highlights. I, I have to admit, I my background is in classical civilizations, uh, most oh, of my, wow. my university background, and I've studied, I've been to Italy, I've been to Greece, I haven't yet been to Egypt. So I'm a little bit green with envy right now. <laughs> Wonderful trip. It's worth the effort to go there. Uh, one of my other highlights is actually um, we went on a conference to Brazil, we went to, we went to Rio, but we took a side tour to um, to, to uh, Manaus and we went on a, on a cruise on the Nile. And that was wonderful in itself. But while on the cruise, we heard about Jacques Cousteau's beautiful uh, ecology hotel called Araya Towers. And that when you go there, you can actually swim with the wild river dolphins, you know, the pink bark mm. pink dolphins. So we immediately changed some plans, took a day trip up the river, spent one night, went early morning swimming with the dolphins, and it was magnificent I think that's actually a life-changing experience because we've actually gone into the river with a guide and he tells you uh, he holds the fish and then you have to hold his hand and he shows you how to to feed the dolphins and he slaps on the water and he calls boto boto because that's what the Brazilians call the dolphins boto they believe they are um, magical figures that can assume human shape at night and they come out of the river and they impregnate all the virgins. So isn't that a love, isn't that a good excuse? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So we were there in the middle of the river, and then he allows you to hold the fish and the and the boat will come out of the water. And of course, you're in the black Amazon. Yeah. So the water is inky black. It's not dirty, it's it's clear, but it's so inky black, you only see the dolphins as they start to rise out of the water with this long snout. And they take your fish. And as they come out, he says, touch, touch, and you're allowed to caress the dolphins. Oh, what an extraordinary experience. We thought that was terrific. But when we finished, we decided we wanted to swim into the middle of the river, and there was a, a National Geographic team coming to film, and they kept saying, go out of shot, move <laughs> further out. And we swam <laughs> further and further out into the river. And while we were swimming out, I suddenly felt something brushing against my arm and my of course my immediate reaction is oh my goodness it's a caiman mm. or it's a rhino but it was actually the dolphins come to swim with us oh, wow. we had no more fish but as we swam and and frolicked with them they brushed against us and they you know they as they exhale through their blowhole it's like a sigh mm. and we heard this all around us and we swam I think for another 45 minutes with them until eventually our boatman came. When you swim, you have to have a, like a life belt around yes. the waist. And he came up to us. He kept calling us from the boat and we kept swimming away from him. And he came and he grabbed us by the life belt. My, my travel buddy and I, and he actually literally physically pulled us out of the water and put us into the boat and said, Finite. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a life-changing experience, actually, for them to come to us and, yes. and seek that physical contact. That was an absolute magical experience. It sounds extraordinary and, and yeah, um, quite, as you say, quite life-changing. Claudette, let's kind of shift a little bit towards the logistics of, of how you travel, because you mentioned earlier that you do have a genetic eye condition. To what extent does that impact on the way you travel, the way you navigate in unfamiliar environments, and the, the preparation that you do before going on your travels? Well, let me tell you, I try to travel with a friend. I, that's the best way. It's not only as a sighted assistant, which she is, she's my best friend for many, many years. 
but also it's lonely to travel on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't got anybody to nudge and say, look at that. Isn't that amazing? So where possible, I do travel with a friend, but I don't always. I'm quite happy to travel on my own. So the first thing is I have, because I have a visual impairment, I have a, a symbol cane. Now, I know a lot of people are very loath to pull that symbol cane out, but let me tell you, boy, I think that when Moses parted the Red Sea, that staff of his was a white cane because it literally parts the waters. It gives you such amazing perks. You get shown to the front of the queue. Uh, you Overseas particularly, the, um, the acceptance and the... Uh, reverence that they give to the white cane is amazing. So we get so few perks as people with disabilities, don't hesitate to use it. So that's the first thing, if you can. Then the biggest, most important thing that people, and they fail to do, and not only people with disabilities, everybody does, research. It's so important to do research and I mean that in every sense of the word. So what for you does that research look like? To what extent are you researching? What's the information that you're looking for? Well first of all we start with the airline. Try to avoid a multi-stop air travel if you can possibly avoid it unless you're making it part of your trip. You know if you're going I'm going, for example, to Iceland next year, and I know I've, I've looked at already looked at the, at the airline costs. And if I, I can tra- travel via Dubai or um, Qatar, and then from there to um, to Holland, and from there to Iceland, that's three stops. You really don't need to put yourself. By the time you've finished, you're exhausted, and you've actually increased your travel time. So go the most direct route that you can. That's one of the first things you need to do. Then research your hotel, for example. Don't try and do a 40-seater, 10-country trip because you're going to, all you're going to do is see the bus in the inside of the hotel and maybe two-star attractions in each town. Mm. Avoid that. If you're traveling, choose one or two areas that you'd like to see. Research everything. Absolutely. What? Don't go and stay at a five-star hotel. You're not going to be in the hotel. The money you save between a five- and a three-star hotel can pay for all your day trips. So what we like to do is if we go to a new area that we've never been, take one of those hop-on, hop-off buses, see the major sites, and then the next day you can go back and, and see them in detail. Get out of the city. You know, Paris is, is not France. London is not England. Get out of the city. For example, if you are going to Paris, you have to take a day trip to Giverny, which is um, Paul uh, Monet's home in his magnificent garden, which is an hour and a half out of Paris. It's the most amazing trip. And if you go in the spring or the summer, the gardens are breathtaking. And you see his house as he lived in it. And uh, all the art is there. It's absolutely beautiful. If you're going to London, don't stay in London. You're sure what, see what you want to do. Research maybe three or four or five things, the max that you want to do in a big city. If you want to get out of London, take a day trip to uh, Windsor. Don't take a guided tour. If you go on a guided tour, it's going to cost you £40. You can take a Green Line bus for £3. And when you get there and you get to the to the castle or you can book online a guided tour around the castle, you can save yourself a fortune if you're smart. So what you're saying is that the research that you're doing allows you to understand more about the options that are available to you and you can find a solution that fits your budget and your time scale and, and your preferences. Absolutely. Um, I mean, if you're in London, you, you take a tube and you go to Kew and you can spend days just walking around Kew, especially if you go in spring or summer. The gardens are magnificent. And, you know, if you have to go to an art museum or you, you want to see um, uh, paintings, you don't have to have a guided trip, but sometimes you have to book online. But then 
get an audio tour. You know, you get a, a set of, um, of earphones and it will tell you the important painting. Sometimes you walk past the most important works without realizing it. And of course, a guided, a, an audio guide will actually point out and show you the interesting things in a painting. I've actually, I've been interested to see in terms of the, the audio guide tours now that a lot of them are available at low cost online. So you can actually listen on your, your mobile phone or your smartphone instead of needing to get one yeah. of the, the, their guided tours as well. And actually answer, yeah. Mm. And, and so when you go, make sure you take your, your earphones for your phone with you. There's nothing worse than six people around you in different languages all listening to their smartphone. That's so, so true. Remember to take your, your, your earphones with you. And also do look for disability specials. You know, we have so few perks. Let's use what we, what's given to us. But as I said, try and, uh, for example, if you don't book online you pr and you're going to Rome, you probably won't get to see um, uh, some of the, the best works because they're just too full. When you get up to the Vatican, mm. the, the queue in, in from May onwards to September can be a half a mile or a mile long. And unless you've booked online, you won't, you won't get it. But also look at the times. For example, if you go to Florence and you want to see Michelangelo's uh, David, that the academy is open till half past nine at night. Yeah. Don't go there at 11 o'clock in the day. Go look for the later, earlier or later times where there's less crowds. And you, you can actually often score price-wise and certainly you can, can beat the queue. You mentioned some of the disability discounts and perks that, that are available. Can you just give us a, a few ideas of what types of things you're finding when you're traveling that, that well, help? For example, yeah, for example, if you go to Paris, you can actually get a, a disabled uh, rail bus pass and you get a discount as a disability person. So make sure you take your disability card or have a disability card, you know, that you can actually put in online. Um, and where, where possible, avoid using undergrounds. You know, when you, when you use the underground, you see nothing. And ask the hotel staff to actually just tell you, if you're going to this place or that, what buses do I catch? I go this bus to that stop. And, you know, you, if you put yourself on, on, a, on, a, on a GPS, you know, on a, uh, on a Google Maps, it will often tell you, you know, exactly where you're going. So um, it's, it's really important to try and see as much of the city. So if you're going from one point to the other, don't go on the under, avoid the underground if you can, because you see more on, on a bus. And also look at traveling by train or by boat. Those sometimes are the cheaper alternatives. Uh, I mean, intercity in Europe by train is amazing and it's, it's very cheap. And not only that, remember when you go on a train, you actually arrive at the city center. You don't arrive at an airport an hour away and very often the traveling from the airport to the city center is quite expensive. Yes, that's true. And so it saves you time and it saves you money. So don't be afraid to be a bit adventurous. Some of our best fun has been on overnight train trips, for example, from Moscow to St. Petersburg. We had the most amazing overnight. We caught a midnight train in Moscow and we went to St. Petersburg. It was absolutely fascinating meeting all those people on the train and you're more likely to meet local people on the train. That's true. I had a similar experience traveling between Prague in the Czech Republic and Krakow in Poland. We, we went on an overnight train and it was a lot of fun. It absolutely is. And, you know, sometimes you go on an overnight train, you actually save uh, an ounce accommodation. True. So if you go on an overnight train, you're saving on the airfare. And, you know, you don't always have to go on the TGF or, you know, one of the express trains. Maybe you find one with one or two stops for half the price. But again, it all comes back to research. So, for example, when we um, traveled on uh, along the fjords in Finland, we went on the Hurti Gruten line, which is a, a ship that goes in and out of all the fjords. And it's a working ship. So it actually, you know, these small hamlets 
and the fjords have no road links with, with anywhere. The only link is the is the ship, and it delivers cars and fruit and all sorts of things. And there were three of us traveling, and avoid traveling three of you if you can. It's very difficult to get them to put a third bed into mm. a room. They sometimes won't or they can't even fit it. But because there were three of us, the only way we could actually get a three-birth cabin was a disability cabin. And because I could prove I, I was a visually disabled person, they would actually book it out to us. So the three of us could share. And we had the most beautiful large cabin with a very big bathroom because, of course, it was wheelchair-friendly. It was only that I was visually disabled that we could book that, that three-birth cabin. So don't be scared to use, you know, what works for you. That's such an, uh, that's a lovely story because I've, I've heard so many stories about parents traveling with a child with a disability and they, they struggle with that because most of the accessible rooms only have two beds. So that's a, a nice story to hear of a, a good example of that. And it's only through research. Absolutely true. And, you know, I know you can start on one site and end up 20 sites later, but check also what is available locally. Walking tours in a, in a town walk by locals are usually very inexpensive, and especially if you go to places like Japan, they're very proud, and they do it for a nominal sum. They're so proud of their cities, and they love to show visitors around. So look for local walking tours uh, and things like that, because it, it really is a delightful way to see a city. But, and don't be scared. Be adventurous. You know, what's the worst that can happen to you? You won't get lost. I can assure you. <laughs> so you've, you've mentioned a number of different research and, and you know, the importance of research. What apps or technology do you use to make your, your, your travels easier for you? Well, I have a um, – I use – uh, be My Eyes, mm -hmm. which is an amazing app um, because, you know, it uses your smartphone technology. I don't know if you know the app. I do. I have used it, yes. You have used it. Well, it's great because for the people who've never used it, it's a free app. Uh, there are over a million um, advisors, and I heard the other day up to 600 users. And once you download the, uh, the app, it's Be My Eyes, literally. Uh, when you push and you open the app, it connects you with the first available volunteer, and um, they use the phone as your, their, their eyes, and they will tell you what you need to see. And there's no limit to to what they will do. It's quite amazing. And also on Be My Eyes, you also have speciality help. For example, if you want to really go and Google you can go and ask for, for uh, Microsoft help and there will be a Microsoft engineer from somewhere in the world who will be able to help you navigate through those through those websites. It's just an amazing service that sighted people are willing to help. And when I speak to sighted people about it, they are so excited. They said, here is a way we can't always go and you know, spend a whole month helping an, uh, an NPO or something, but we can donate bits of our time because let's face it, everybody's very busy today. So Be My Eyes is a very important one. Of course, one of the most important ones is the um, magnification app on the phone. And these are all free apps. Uh, Maglite Free is a great app because, I mean, have you ever tried even as a sighted person to read a, a guide to the tube or the bus guide. It's tiny, tiny print. And that's an amazing thing to have. So those are the two apps I use most of them. Of course, Torch is great because, you know, just finding which way your key card goes in. So if you have a, a hotel and you're going to spend a few days there, clip a corner out of your key card and make sure that it's got a tactile something on it that you can actually put your fit your key card into the hotel door to make sure that you're getting it in the right way. There's nothing more frustrating than having to go downstairs and find somebody in the staff to come and let you into your room. If you can't orientate yourself in your room, don't be scared to ask. They are so happy to come and show you everything in the room. Uh, we spent um, 
unscheduled stop in Hong Kong uh, about three years, four years ago. And we uh, flight was cancelled, so we had we got to the hotel at about two o'clock in the morning, and I think we had one o'clock, and we had to leave again at five o'clock. So we had four hours, and we spent three of them crawling around the floor with a sighted friend and my little torch, looking for the light switch. My word! It was an ultra modern uh, tactile light switch that we could find in the dark. Even with my little torch on my phone, and I always, as a person with night vision, I have a great little rechargeable torch. I never travel without it. That's a useful thing to have. Yeah. Very useful thing to have. I I never travel without it. And I think, as far as money goes, I believe in cash card. I think it's the best. Uh, I know we spent when we were in Moscow. Uh, a friend of mine was traveling with very old-fashioned traveler's checks, and the other one was traveling with, I forget what, but I was the only person with the cash card. And everywhere we went, I put my my card into the machine and out tumbled the rubles, like, you know, like you won a lottery. It's great. <laughs> and these people were trying, every, every precious moments were spent looking for a bank that would actually change uh American dollars or they don't like to change international currencies. So a cash card is the best thing. I think nowadays with the the ATMs also accepting international cards, it makes the financial side of traveling and cash when you're overseas a lot easier. um, Make sure that that your card, your bank card has been enabled. You can't just take it over and start using it. It has to be enabled. And make sure that it is um, it, 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 it's compatible. Uh, we had when we were in India, we had a most wonderful. I haven't even told you how things. We had a wonderful trip to Dharamsala, which is in the north of India, which is the home of the Tibetans and the Dalai Lama. Mm. And the, the girl lady who was with us had a bid vest. I couldn't say that. A bid something card, and part of it, and she didn't research it. Part of it was that. When you try to draw overseas, they send you an SMS, and she didn't take her cell phone with her. So she left it for someone who was running her business. So every time she tried to draw money, they were sending an SMS to to her phone in Johannesburg saying, can we authorize this withdrawal? (laughs) So make sure you know how your cash system works. And even if you're paying a little bit extra, do it. Spend your money where you need to. I try to make sure that I spend money on airfare. I find especially I'm traveling across state lines to go on a a cheapest economy fare is sometimes not the best way. If you can afford to get a seat with extra extra leg room or go economy plus, it sometimes makes a huge difference. So don't spend your money where it's not going to make a difference to your travels. And a five-star hotel, as I said, is, is not necessary. The three-star hotels, staff are friendlier. Everything is there that you need. Maybe it's just not assumptions. They might not have a gym or a pool uh, on site, and that's not what you're traveling for. So do research. Find out what's going on. And as I said, limit yourself. Be very strict about not trying to see too much. So talking about the the apps and the technology, when you're traveling, do you use GPS technology at all? And if so, which of the GPS apps? You mentioned Google Maps already, um, but which which of the apps have you found is the most useful of that type? I use Google Maps. I like Google Maps because I know it. And I think you must use what you know. Don't try and download a new app that you've never used and try and use it overseas. Use things that you're familiar with. And and if anybody's interested on www.retinasa.org.za, we have a list of over 100 apps that can be useful in any situation. But we say to people, don't try and download 100 and use them. (laughs) Perfect them one at a time and then see what you need. But there are so many apps that you you could, I mean, not only be my eyes, you can have uh, uh, AI, seeing AI and um, tap, tap, see. 
there are so many. And as you say, when you go into a church or a, um, a museum, you can go onto their website and actually download a, a, a talking, you know, a, a voice tour. So, but you find that out before you leave. Again, research, research. If the, that's the one message that I can give your, your listeners before they travel is research, research, research. I mean, we're only going next June to Iceland and I'm already researching what is, what is it that we need to see? What is the best way of going? How do we, you know, all those sort of things I'm already researching. And so there's no pressure the day before you go. And also if you're going to a foreign country, I learn 10 words. Please, thank you, hello, where's the police station, but most especially, where's the toilet? <laughs> and you know that if you try to speak to somebody or you greet them and say hello in their language, and then they ask you if you speak their language and you say no or neat or whatever their language is, they will happily switch to English. And we found today more and more people are speaking English because tourism is big business and they, they like the tourists. So, yeah. But I learned 10, I'm going to have a problem learning 10 words of Icelandic because I can't even pronounce their names, even when they tell me very slowly what their names are. They have a very complex way of, of naming because people, children are named after the mother, not the father. So it's very confusing. But um, we're looking forward to going to Iceland because I've never thought I would go there and the next Britain International Congress is there. And I was this last week and chosen as a delegate to go to the Britain International Congress. So it's going to be really exciting to go and see fire and us. Oh, that does sound wonderfully exciting. And I, I wish you good luck with your research and, and the excitement of that trip as you get closer. As someone who travels extensively, if you were to give advice to a service provider, be it an airline, a hotel, or a, a restaurant, any kind of service provider in the tourism industry, how they should start making their facilities just a little more accommodating to those of us with special needs, where should they start? Staff training. I tell you, I was so disgusted at a stopover from Ireland in June in Paris when um, I asked for special assistance. I was traveling on my own. I always ask for special assistance. Did I tell you that? People <laughs> must ask for special assistance. It can save you hours of queuing and all sorts of things. So I had asked for special assistance. I was plonked at the gate. And um, I couldn't understand the, uh, you know, the, 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 the tannoy. You know, you can't hear them anyway and you can't understand them. And apparently the flight was delayed and, and I didn't know that. And I sat and sat and sat and sat. And eventually um, I needed the loo and I, I went to the front of where people were standing and I asked for somebody to, you know, to please, um, you know, what would, for A, what was happening? And, and then she said, there's a flight delay. And I said, Could somebody please come. You know, I'd been sitting in a chair for four hours Ooh. and nobody had come to actually tell me what was going on. And there was a sharp tongue ground hostess who said, if you needed extra special attention, you should have asked for it. And, you know, the airlines give you this free, so you should be grateful for what you get. Mm -hmm. So that was <laughs> a lesson in how not mm -hmm. to win friends and influence enemies because um, – you know, a little bit of courtesy and, and human dignity. And it's all about staff training. Uh, and locally, uh, we, there's some ground handling crews here that are amazing. Really, you know, some of them are really well trained. Where we encounter bad training, we do take it up with the airline or the service provider. But I think what's important, if you are traveling as a disabled person, for example, if you're traveling with a guard dog, the re requirements are onerous. Make sure that you have every single document. A colleague of mine traveled from Oatambo to PE a few months ago. She had all the documentation, but she did not have a letter from her ophthalmologist to say she was visually impaired. 
and they gave her endless hassle at Oatambo. I mean, she had about 10 documents that she needed, but not for her. She had documents for the guide dog. <laughs> so, you know, do find out and speak to people and, and don't be scared to complain if you're not getting good service. Uh, restaurants are, I think we also, as people with a, a, a disability, we need to be courteous of them. We need to inform restaurants or airlines or what, wherever we're going that we have a person with a disability and ask them, do they need any special information? Do they, do they need to make any special um, arrangements? For example, there was a well-publicized story about a lady. I think she had RP because she sounded like me. I don't have a guide dog. It's just I don't have the time to look after a dog, and they do require time. I just use my symbol can. She walked into a restaurant with a guide dog, and um, she hadn't informed them that she was bringing a dog, and they complained. Uh, anyway, they let her in. And then, of course, she parked the guide dog under the chair and walked around the tables greeting people and talking to them. Now, that's probably like me. If you've got good central vision and you've orientated yourself, you can do that. But the people who saw her doing that assumed immediately that she really wasn't, didn't have a visual problem. And uh, they asked her to leave with the dog. So you can understand that. Remember, people are not informed. People think you're either blind or you're sighted. There's nothing in between. And we need to educate people about partial sight. And also give people a heads up. We always, if we're taking people with guide dogs to a restaurant or to a hotel, we always inform them in good time and, you know, ask them what do they require to make that person stay or visit, you know, the best for them. But don't just expect and demand attention. Be a little bit considerate for service providers. And if you do that, you usually won't have any problems. I think that's so important. I am a guide dog user and I certainly try to be as clear upfront about what my, my dog is doing and what will be expected of the dog and what people there can expect from the dog as well. So I think that that sense of communication is so important as well. From our side, we can't always assume that people will know what we need, especially because our needs differ from person to person. Absolutely. And from disability to disability. Certainly. The wheelchair user, I mean, we've been talking now about sight impaired, and I'm sure if you had the same conversation with a wheelchair user, it would be completely different. And speaking of that, if you're asking for sighted assistance, if you can, demand that you don't get a wheelchair. There's nothing more degrading than being put in a wheelchair and you make eye contact with people as you go along and here you are carrying your white can. Where possible, I do ask for sighted assistance. It doesn't always happen, but um, I just feel like such a fraud you know, in a wheelchair when I actually have very good legs and they walk very well. <laughs> it's, yeah, I just have poor vision. So it's just a thing with me. I don't like to get into a wheelchair. But when you travel into to the United States and they say, say get in the chair, don't argue. Get in the chair. <laughs> Claudette, you've shared so much valuable information with us, not only about your own travels, but also some resources and some of the Retina South Africa, the Retina SA resources. If people would like to follow up with you or find out a little bit more about Retina South Africa, how can they contact you? Our website is www.retinasa.org.za and they're welcome to call our office. Our helpline is 0860. 595959. And uh, whatever, even if they don't have a retinal vision problem, if we can help them and point them in the right direction, we certainly will. Claudette, as a final question, what would you say to someone with a visual impairment who's keen to travel but is nervous about doing so? Why should we get out and see the world? I can't imagine what my life would have been like. I think that travel broadens your horizons in every sense of the word. You learn about people, but I think you learn about cultures. The person you learn most about is yourself. 
And every time you do venture out into and put yourself on the line, you know, the worst thing about fear is fear itself. And if you don't try, you really will never expand your horizon. It gives you the greatest sense of finding out the world and in doing so, finding out your own strengths. And the delight and the magic of the world is out there, whether we see it well or we see it partially, but it's there for all of us. And I can't imagine how boring my life would have been. I love my life. I have a wonderful life here. But uh, traveling is the mo- truly the most mind-expanding thing that you can do. Some very wise words. Thank you, Claudette. Today, on A Different Way of Traveling, we've been talking to Claudette Medivant, who is the Head of Science for Retina South Africa and the Deputy President of Retina International. Claudette, thank you so much for sharing all these wise words and wonderful insights into the topic of travel. It's been a real pleasure to listen to you and some of your travel stories. Thank you so much, Lois. And if you want to go to Iceland, book a place. We're going in June. (laughs) I may just do that. The interview with Claudette is a little bit longer than normal, but I didn't want to edit any of it out because there was such great content. It was great to chat to Claudette and we really appreciate her joining us on A Different Way of Travelling. Now it's time for the Travel Tech Corner. This is where we spotlight a device that can be of assistance to persons with disabilities when travelling. And over the next few episodes, we're going to be partnering with Edit Microsystems, an assistive technology company based in Cape Town and serving the needs of people in Southern Africa. Let's chat to Zoe and Gerard from Edit Microsystems. Today on the Travel Tech Corner, we are joined by Zoe Michaelidis and Gerard Erasmus from Edit Microsystems, who are an assistive technology company based in Cape Town. Welcome to the Travel Tech Corner. Thanks, Lois. Thank you very much, Lois. Thank you for the opportunity. Great. So you're going to be joining us over the next few months to share some information about specific devices that will help travelers with disabilities on their travels. So what device are we going to be talking about today? Okay, so this is Gerard here. And I think today we will start by talking about the Victor Reader Trick. Victor Reader Trick is a GPS designed for the blind as well as a book player. And that's made by Humanware. Absolutely. Humanware, multinational company, and Humanware, they have a long tradition of making book players, the Victor Reader series. And the Trick is the latest incarnation, if you will. So tell us a little bit about the Victor Reader Trick and how it can assist visually impaired travelers. All right. So it is a book player as well as a GPS because many of us take public transport and we would typically listen to books or audio or music. And what better way to then combine it with a GPS to tell you where your next stop is. So it is a GPS using mainstream technology for the, the guidance and the satellite, the TomTom technology. Your listeners might be familiar with it. But it is optimized and tuned for pedestrian use. So it's it's, it's much more refined and much more specific. Um, it allows you to do a number of things. You can look up addresses and have it guide you there. You can even put up landmarks using just your voice, and uh, it will guide you back there uh, from anywhere in the world, really, using... There's GPS satellites and, of course, then the TomTom maps, as it were. And does it require a data connection or what, what is the technology that it uses? Nope, it doesn't require any data. You can preload the maps. When you buy the device, you would actually get the maps pre-installed. So you specify the country, in our case, presumably South Africa. And, uh, yes, you would get the maps free, no data required, although it has a Wi-Fi capability for other reasons, for updates and for radio and podcasts like this one. Uh, But no, for GPS purposes, it doesn't need any Wi-Fi or data connection, which is quite nice. Great. Well, that certainly sounds like a useful device for a traveler with a visual impairment to have with them. And as you say, multiple uses. 
Yeah. So if people would like to find out more about the Victor Reader trick, how can they contact Edit Microsystems and find out? Sure. Well, our telephone number is 021-433-2520. Or you can contact me on my email. It's G-E-R-H-A-R-D at editmicro.co.za. That is spelled E-D for education, I-T for information technology, and then micro, M-I-C-R-O dot co.za. And I believe there's a reference code that might be have some, some extra benefit if, if people quote the reference code. So how can they do that and what will it mean? Absolutely. Well, if they come to us and visit us or email us and quote the reference code ASA, we could uh, work a little discount in on the price of the device uh, up to 7.5%. As it That's fantastic to know. So just to for any of our listeners who are not based in South Africa, the Victor Reader Trek as a humanware um, manufactured device. Just look for your, you can Google search your closest retailer who will then also then find that device. But otherwise, for anyone based in South Africa, we've given you the contact details for Edit Microsystems. And with the reference code ASA, you would be eligible for a quote if you approach them and then as a result purchase the Victor Street Victor Reader Trek. Gerard, Zoe, thank you so much for joining us on today's Travel Tech Corner. We look forward to hearing more from you next time. In the next Travel Tech Corner, Gerard and Zoe will be introducing us to another device to help travelers with disabilities. Here's this week's travel quote. Swedish-born fiction author Sandra Lake said, With age comes wisdom. With travel comes understanding. And on that note, I'm going to wish you goodbye. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode of A Different Way of Traveling. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za, on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa, and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za. Editing by Create Strachan using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow, based on a motif by Lloyd Strachan. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on A Different Way of Traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.